Blog Talk Radio. Hey, welcome everybody to Thoughtfulness Thursday. This is Annette Bingham and Tasha Humphreys here with me. And we are back after a finally. <laughs> finally. Um, yeah, Tasha finally went to the doctor. I held out and ran to Sprouts and got some really good homeopathic stuff. So it did me wonders last night. So I'm back to everybody's doing better. Um, we're hoping our voices hold out through the 30 minutes. If not, and our guests will just carry us on through. <laughs> we, we've got a really, really good show today, and uh, we've got Sarah Scott back with us, and she's going to be talking about her story about addiction and recovery, but before she gets started, what I wanted to do is let you know that, that she is more than willing to connect with anybody who has a question or a comment or a concern about addiction and recovery. So if you want to post something on our Facebook page, a question, a comment, just on the page itself, or if you would like to connect with Sarah, just go ahead and message us on Facebook. We'll get that information to her. And please, please know that Tasha and I do not judge. We do not, you know, our, our whole purpose of having this show is to help other people, and that's why we do it. Um, And if we can connect somebody to somebody else that can help, then please, please just, you know, message us or post, and we'll get you connected with Sarah so that she can uh, talk to you, and she's such a cool person, just really down to earth and no judgment there. So... uh, we don't judge here. That we we just don't. Um, we don't want people to judge us, and so don't send right. nasty emails. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so just know that you're you're more than welcome to contact us, and we'll get you your information to Sarah. Tasha, please introduce our guest because I'm so excited for this show. Yes. Okay. First of all, I just want to say I'm glad that we're both back. This is I've missed the show, and it's it's nice to be back on. It's nice to feel well again. Um, and so I'm glad you're here, Annette. I'm glad you're feeling better. I'm glad I'm feeling better. And as Annette said, we have Sarah Scope back with us today, and we're certainly both grateful for that. Um, Sarah's been in my life now since I started the doctoral program last year, and I'm absolutely grateful for her presence in my life and for her willingness to come on the show and share her story today. Sarah, I don't want to take any more of your time up, so I just want you to go ahead and and share your story with us because it is a great story, and I want every one of our listeners to hear this. Well, thanks, guys. Hey, everybody. It's a great day. It's a great day in sobriety for sure. Um, Thanks, ladies, for having me back on. It's a pleasure to be back. Sarah, too. Tell us a little bit about what happened. When did all this start with addiction? Well, it's interesting. That question is very interesting to me. When did it all start? I, um, For those of you that, have, that were able to listen to the show when Tasha gave her story, I mean, if you haven't, um, go on the page and, and, and pull it up and listen to it because it's a very, very, very interesting story. But going back to your question of when it started, 
my my situation was very similar to Tasha's, as a matter of fact. Um, I, looking back to my childhood, and and I don't really know why, but really I feel like my life started when I was seven. And I don't, you know, that's not to say that from from birth to seven my life was traumatic because um, from all reports it, it, there was no trauma other than um, I was I was given up for adoption at birth and put into the foster care system. And um, my after being in the foster care system, my my adoptive parents um, adopted me. And and the reason that I say that my life really started at seven, um, my best friend and I were on the school bus and. I don't know, we were snickering about something, and I can't remember that part. But I remember her looking at me and saying, well, at least I'm not adopted. At least my mother loves me. Ooh. And I, I I didn't know what she was talking about. And so um, I I went home, and I, I mean, I remember this like it was yesterday. I ran into the house that I grew up in and went into the kitchen and my mom was there and I just started bawling and I asked her what that meant because my best friend had made it seem so awful. And my mother sat me down and she she explained what adoption means and she explained that um you know that I that there that I did have an a, another mother out there that was unable to care for me and so she gave me to my adoptive parents. And it wasn't until later that I understood that I was in foster care and so forth. But at that time, I remember thinking, in my little seven-year-old mind, I remember thinking, oh, my goodness. I have got to be perfect. I've got to be a good little girl. I've got to not just be a good little girl. I've got to shine. Because people give people away, mm-hmm. and oh. and it, it and it wasn't something that it's just kind of exactly the way that you described it, Tasha. It wasn't something right. that was conscious. It it, it right. wasn't like I woke up every morning and you know I thought, okay, I got to have my hair perfect. I got to do this perfect. It was a natural thing for me to do was to try to look perfect, act perfect, be perfect. If, you know, uh, if my brother was playing soccer, then I was going to play soccer. And I couldn't just score one goal. I had to score all the goals. If um, we had a project at school, I couldn't just do something. I had to spend hours and hours making it perfect. If um, I had chores to do and my brothers didn't want to do their chores, well, I was going to do my chores and I was going to do them perfect. And 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 it was just such a natural thing. I mean, looking back, I know it was such a natural thing. I did not have stomach aches or night terrors, or I didn't cry for no reason. It was just it it quickly and um, totally became a part of who I was. Well, what does that have to do with addiction? Well, um, I struggled with my identity all through the years when children are forming their identity because through me going out and trying to do all these things perfect, a lot of talents emerged. 
And and one of the one of the main talents that was so telling, well, both of them, what was my athleticism, but also my my abilities in music. And and I would just sing in front of anybody, and I would I would play the piano, and I would play the guitar, and I would just sing and sing and sing and sing, and nobody else in my family was doing that. And I would look at my family, and I did not look like my family, and my friends did look like their families, and and so it was always kind of. Um, you know, when I did athletics, it it wasn't just, oh, Sarah's playing soccer. It was, oh, well, Sarah scored all the goals, you know, like I said before. It it, it was not normal. <laughs> Looking back, it was not normal. Um, at the time, it was wonderful because I got all the praise you can imagine, and it built my security for me. But at the time, it wasn't something I could voice. So I'm not one of those alcoholics that started drinking at 11 years old because that would not have been perfect. I didn't even start drinking until I was 19. And even then, it was a scary thing because because I had lived such a clean life and because I had followed every single rule you're supposed to follow, although I did get caught sneaking out one time, but... That was just once. Um, when I started drinking, I remember, and those alcoholics out there and, and addicts out there that are listening will understand when I say, I remember thinking, finally I can rest. Finally. And so, of course, that made going out with the girls and being a freshman at Texas Tech and, and, and living that kind of life, um, so much easier because alcohol was everywhere, and I did not drink every day. I did. It was a you know, on the weekends. It was, it was what most people would think of as just having fun. You know, being in college, doing the deal. Um, but I, but I distinctly remember the relief that I felt. It, for me, it was like a life preserver because I was tired. I mean, I, I was exhausted. Um, and that really began, it began my road to alcoholism. Of course, like I said when I was on the show last time, you know, we can we can drink and we can moderate um, fairly well and and just, quote, have fun for a long time with alcohol. Um, alcohol is one of the sneakiest drugs that's out there for many reasons because it's accepted by society, it's encouraged by society, and most families in America drink at some degree. And so it, it was it didn't cause me any problems. My identity, or lack of, I should say, really caused me more problems than anything because when I hit college and, and gained all of that independence all of a sudden, um, the rules were not as clearly delineated for me. So I, I, I didn't have anybody to impress. I didn't have anybody to work hard for. You know, I'd never done that for myself. Um, so I didn't know how to be in college. But I also had a healthy fear of, of being drunk and certainly would not try 
hardcore drugs. Um, that that absolutely scared me to death because I was still in that mindset of being perfect. So my alcoholism really didn't didn't start until um, what, what I say cro- I didn't cross that fine line between substance abuse and addiction until really um, later in my twenties. I think there were many many nights that I would go to happy hour or that I would go to a party or I would go just out to the bars um, thinking I was just having fun. And, of course, I would get drunk, but there were no consequences. Um, and you have a hangover and you laugh it off, you know, because that's what that was the culture. But but when I, when I moved away, I moved to Oklahoma from Lubbock. And um, there's, there are many, many stories that go behind that. I'm skipping because of time restraint here, but, but there are many things that led me to Oklahoma that were actually tied to my subsequent alcoholism, but we don't have time to talk about all those things. But let's just say that I made a lot of bad decisions in, you know, while in search of who I was. Right. I, I mean, Sarah, I played can, in a lot. Sarah, can I jump in and ask you a question? Was the reason... You did not feel yourself. You know, you you said you didn't feel like you were yourself, um, but you felt more yourself when you were drinking. Um, Was that because you knew you weren't perfect, because nobody is, and it was just easier to drink and just relax in that imperfection? You know, what you might have thought of imperfection? because that was something you wouldn't have done otherwise. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. And and it's it's you ask the best questions. <laughs> it's really it, and this is important because this is kind of one of those characteristics that differentiates a normal drinker from an alcoholic drinker. It's the answer to your question is actually quite the opposite. Oh, okay. I I was, I, I was perfect. In, in my alcoholic your conscious mind, mind I, you were perfect, yeah. I was perfect. I mean, if you work that hard and you do that good in life up to the age of 19 or, you know, 25, then, then you must be pretty darn close to perfect. And and the thought that that alcohol would make me any less perfect never even crossed my mind. Oh, to me... Okay. Right. It it emphasized to me that I was I was okay and that I could be who I am, which is perfect. And those that don't like it, I don't care. And I can relax because um because the alcohol in itself, the effect that it had on me was perfect. Yeah. It's very difficult to dis- to explain, um, but but it's 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 exactly what happens when people that that have the disease of addiction in their midbrain. It's the exact reason why we continue to use because the midbrain loves it so much. I mm-hmm. mean. The, that's the pleasure, you know, and so and so when it comes into your body, your world is flawless. Flawless. 
You no, don't have I'm, to I'm care. Gonna, and I'm going to jump in and say, like, it's it's very similar to cocaine use. Uh, I used cocaine whenever I was on my self-destructive path, and, and I know whenever I used it, you know, I, I mean, you feel glamorous, you feel amazing, you feel on top of the world. It's your dopamine levels and any chemical imbalance you might have is completely different, and all of a sudden you feel amazing. And you're not thinking about anything else because you're number one. And I know that in, in, you know, regard to alcoholism, a lot of times they refer to, you know, the ones that come in new to treatment as having teen baby syndrome because they have that idea that everything they're doing is perfect and that everything is about them and it's, you know, I am the perfect one here and I am the king and you need to serve me. You know, it's very similar to that. And I and I do have a question for you before you continue. Were either of your parents teetotalers or were they meaning that they no. didn't drink and they were against it? They 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 both were moderate I get moderate drinkers, I'm assuming. They, I, I grew up in a traditional Lutheran home and if you're okay. Lutheran out there, first of all, high five in the air and second of all, um Lutherans like here, we have our fundraisers at a winery. Okay. We're not we're not a bunch of drunks. I don't want to put it that I don't want no, to say that way. But no, no, no. I I wanted to understand that because, you know, I know like for, with my family, there was a teetotaler. So if you drank, then you were imperfect. But I think in a family that, you know, accepts alcohol, as it, you know, because they're moderate drinkers, then I think it's very easy to get in your mind because, like you said, society accepts it. Doctors recommend it. You know, like they literally right. tell people to drink it. So well, uh, that's right. it's okay. You know, if that's okay, right. then I'm not doing anything wrong. Right, exactly. And and really, I mean, my parents, they, they, they I mean, I think my dad was, maybe got drunk one time when he was a, a classman in college and has never been drunk again. My mother has never been drunk in her life. It, it's not, my dad was not, he didn't come home from work and fix himself a drink in the evening. It, it was never like that. But... Right. If mom's cooking dinner, she will have half of a glass of wine. And more times than not, I saw that she would pour out the bottom part of it. Mm-hmm. So it it was, it, you know, my parents had a liquor cabinet, and it had like two things in it. Right. You know, it, um, so it, 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 there was no message that alcohol's great or alcohol's bad. Um, it, it was just a part of, it was just a healthy part of life. Right. And, and so, let me ask you this. I, I really want you to be able to talk about the other side of uh, addiction, sobriety. What what did, I know it's different for everybody, but what did alcoholism look like for you in your life? Okay, alcoholism for me was extremely functional um until the last year and a half of my drinking. And the last year and a half of my drinking, I was going through a divorce, my only divorce, my only marriage, which was a big mistake. Um and and it was absolutely the loneliest, darkest place I can imagine. When before life was perfect when I drank, it turned on me, which you'll hear a lot of alcoholics say, and it became an enemy. So it's not a whole lot different than having the love of your life for most of your life, adult life, and then he all of a sudden turns on you. It, it, it feels the same way. So I started getting drunk after three drunk drinks. When, when I could drink a half gallon of, I mean, a half of a half gallon of vodka a day, 
all of a sudden, after three drinks, I would be drunk. Um, and I quit working. I never got fired. I never lost a house, never lost anything. But I quit working because I'd made a lot of money, and I could just sit and I could drink. So I began drinking in the morning. I would take a nap and then drink some more at noon. I would take a nap, and then I would go out to the bars. And it was like that every single day for a year and a half. And in that time, for me, my consequences, and and this is why it it can get so scary, my consequences were liver damage, urinating blood, um, throwing up blood. I mean, I was destructing from the inside out. And on top of that, I was living in another state by myself, no family, no support system whatsoever, except for my buddies at the bar. And so it was a very, very scary time for me because much like I talked about last time when I was on, it alcohol took over my body. And by the time I knew that it had done that, I had liver damage. And so... And so, I, I, so that leads me into how I got into recovery after drinking for 20-some-odd years. Um, I woke up one Saturday morning, and this is like it was yesterday, and I started calling to see what people were going to be doing on Saturday. What bar are we going to for noon or brunch or whatever? Nobody would answer the phone. And and I was terrified. I was already drinking, and for some reason, I got terrified. And I don't know why. I still, to this day, don't know what I was so scared of. And And I said to God, I said, either take my life or save me, but you have to change it because I can't. In the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, we would call this a spiritual awakening. I did not know that at the time. I picked up the phone. I do not remember doing this, but I picked up the phone and dialed my parents. My dad answered, and I said, Dad, can you help me? And he said, with your drinking? And remember, they'd never seen me this way. They had never seen me this way. And I lied and lied and lied and lied and lied. No, I'm not drinking too much. You know, and on the other end of the line, my face is blue because I'm so drunk. Um. And I, and he he called Dr. Tom McGovern, and they got me in. I mean, within an hour, my mother had a plane ticket, and I was coming home. And that is that was the most miraculous three days of my life because I could not throw up without throwing up blood. I could not pee without peeing blood. I mean, it was awful. And all of a sudden, I had help. And I will never forget that for the rest of my life because I could have died in that condo in Oklahoma City. Right. Nobody would have known for a long time. And it scares me even to think of it today. So I went into recovery. I went to into an inpatient rehab facility, and I did aftercare, and I did um, two meetings a day for two years. And, I mean, I I went all in. And I took all of the energy <clears throat> that I'd had growing up in trying to be perfect and then what I'd had in trying to drink myself to death, basically, I took all of that energy and put it into my recovery. And my life has been one blessing after another since then. And and when I say blessing, it's not blessings I asked for. 
I I, I didn't call up nine uh, you know my nine one one God and say can I get a job and a car and a house and a degree, um, or a master's degree. I already had a master's, but it it was it was all about recognizing that I'm not perfect, accepting that I'm not perfect, and loving me for not being perfect because God loves me for not being perfect. That's how he made me. And so at first it was just about getting and staying sober, you know, working, doing this kind of stuff. And and I remember in the summer of 2009 I said to myself, what if I just go out there and I try to be who I was intended to be in the beginning? And so, and, and I said to myself, I'm going to try some of this stuff. And it, if it doesn't work, that's okay because I'm not perfect. And so I applied to the graduate school at Texas Tech. And I'll be damned if I didn't get in. And so then I thought, well, I'm just going to see how good I do at this. I'm just going to see if this is what was intended. And I excelled in my master's degree. And I graduated with a four-point And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to try and see if I can do a Ph.D. And so I applied to that and I got in. And on a daily basis, I have asked for God's will and I have thanked God for his will and I have continued that way day by day. And it's been much, much easier, but the most difficult thing than I ever even imagined because I what I decided to do was take my liabilities that I was born with, which being alcoholism, and try to flip that into some assets for other people because it doesn't matter if I'm perfect or not. What matters is what am I giving to the world? What is my legacy? What can I offer others that was so freely given to me? And that's why I'm an addictions counselor. You know, that's why I'm in a PhD. I'm a single mother, and that's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and I, it was my responsibility, 100% my responsibility, to be able to provide for my child, but at the same time, you know, earning a living. And that method of earning a living was going to be helping other people because other people saved my life. Right. And 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 that and so that's that's what's happened. And it life is not perfect. It is not ever going to be perfect whether you drink or use or not. It's never going to be perfect. It's what your your character is defined by what you do because because it's not perfect. Right. How do you do it because it's not perfect? And that's what I spend my days trying to teach other people how to do in sobriety. Because I truly, believe, I truly I'm believe there are. It's okay. I truly believe that we're born with intention. And so, what is your intention? Right. And you know, I I, I love that you say that because, and we we have like about a little over two minutes left, so I just want to get this in really quick. Um, I love that you say that because you know I've I've often heard people not really grasp the idea that just because they get sober, you know, they they automatically think, okay, well, the whole reason that things are going wrong in my life is because of my drinking or my drug use. 
well, no, life sucks for a lot of people. It's hard. You've got to get through it. But but the things that are continually going wrong, like your relationships, your job loss, the things that are really falling apart in your life where you have no support, yeah, that's probably due to the, the drug use and the drinking. And, and when you get that stuff done and you and you get into recovery and you get yourself back, then you're able to go and achieve and you're able to try to learn communication skills and you're able to do the things that you couldn't do when you were drinking or using because you weren't capable. You weren't even available for anyone else, much less yourself. And so it's not that life becomes perfect, like you said. It's just that all of a sudden you're investing in your life, whereas before you weren't. That's right. And I plead with you that if you are in recovery, just getting the alcohol and drugs out of your system is wonderful, but it's not enough. Push harder. Exactly. The, the right. key to a fulfilling life is helping other people in some capacity. Right. And, Sarah, we, we have about a minute here, so I just want to wrap up really quickly. I totally agree with you. I'm going to reiterate that. Uh, it, it isn't enough to just get sober. And in my opinion, not only do you need to give back, but you need to work on all the other issues that were there that maybe led you to drinking in the first place because a lot of times people don't address that and then they find some other addiction. And we've seen that numerous times, Sarah, you and I both. Um, yeah. And I I want to say thank you so much for being on the show. I I want to have you back again. We, there's so much that we can always cover with you, and you're such a great guest to have on. And I want to reiterate to everyone listening, if you need to talk to Sarah, if you feel that you are in this situation, approaching this situation, possibly know someone who is, please contact us. We will be, of course, we're not judgmental at all, and we'll be very careful with the information. We will certainly put you in contact with Sarah. We would love to do that. That's what this show is about. So do not hesitate to contact us. Sarah, thanks again for being on the show. I really appreciate it, and I do want to have you back in the future. For everybody listening, please join us again tomorrow for Casual Friday Q&A.